This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, Episode 92. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com Podcast Network. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm joined by Eric Gelhouse. Longtime gun sight instructor, owner of Cougar Mountain Solutions Training Company, uh, and retired law enforcement officer. And we're going to talk about preventing training accidents. And along that note, word to uh, about our, today's sponsors. Uh, most recent sponsor and the title sponsor of this podcast is Manus X. I just picked up the X10 Elite Shooting Performance System. It is a dry practice uh, simulator, essentially, that can be used during live fire and dry practice. It attaches to any pistol, rifle, or shotgun, or even a bow and arrow with a rail or adapter. Oh, it's a revolutionary shooting system that helps improve your shooting precision. Check them out at manisex.com. And since we're talking preventing training accidents, I'm going to throw a plug to uh, my buds over there at Barrel Block, and we're going to talk about that product a little bit. Barrel Block is a uh, essentially an insert uh, that looks like an inert dummy round that goes in the chamber of your pistol and uh, hangs out the front end of your semi-auto pistol, uh, which will it'll not allow a uh, cartridge to go into the gun. It also has uh, comes with these... Uh, gosh, I guess they're, they're almost like cartridge simulators that are cut in half, but it's to keep your, your pistol from going to slide lock if you're doing some dry practice and prevent a round from going in there. So uh, it's very easy to spot when you put that in the, the follower. So you insert the barrel block uh, in the gun and start training. So if you don't have access to uh, a blue gun or something to that effect, it renders your gun inert. As always, EDC Belt Company foundation belt edcbeltco.com and let's bring in our guest eric gilhouse welcome back eric gilhouse from cougar mountain solutions uh the fine training company and uh, i already introduced you in the pre-show as long time 20 plus year gunsight instructor yeah so Retired. Nice to be back on Hanny's podcast. <laughs> there it is. Every time, man. So, so in the news recently, and I got tasked to do this by some of the powers that be. In the news recently, we've had like three incidents of uh, let's let's say ballistic tragedy involving training incidents, and uh, one of which was fatal. Uh, I'm not sure. Two about were that. fatal. Two of them were I got, now. I've got two fatal and one. She's last I heard still in the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that could be wrong, but two were fatal for sure. Yes. And I've, I've, uh, agency I work for just a little context in history. Um, we had one in 1976 or seven that was fatal with blanks. Um, uh, on practicums of traffic stops and uh you know it cost one one training officer their life and and one recruit uh a lifetime of uh 
you know, some, some issues. I mean, I, nobody wanted to trade places with him. Uh, and then we had a second one that was non-fatal that I actually talked to the officer the other day. He's on his third hip replacement. So, uh, where he took a round in the hip during a training exercise. So things can happen. Yeah. They, they can, but they shouldn't. And the problem is when you start looking into these, it's not the students. It's the instructors. Yeah. It's the guys who are supposed to be running the stuff that are screwing it up. Ooh. Well, I've, uh, you know, when I got into law enforcement, we used live guns for just about everything. And uh, on our training side of things, we would have a designated safety officer that would flag everybody's chamber with either like a piece of uh, crime scene tape or something, mm-hmm. uh, something that was exposed out of the chamber. And before, before and after every exercise that we did, uh, they would basically do a pat down and, and make sure there was no ammo on anyone. Uh, but still using live guns bothered me, it, it, but it was what we had, you know, and we didn't have the blue guns. We didn't have collectively enough of the, the gun set up for non-lethal training ammo, be it simunitions, FX rounds, or later UTM or the force on force stuff. And on the simunitions, going back to it, that's a brand name. That's not a product. Right. This, it's the simunitions FX. And this is an issue because they make reduced range training ammo that's a live bullet. Oh, wow. They make frangible ammo. Mm. I, that, I wouldn't so wear if, that. Yeah. So if you just order Sims, simunitions, hopefully whatever supply company you're dealing with is 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 smarter than the average bear but simunitions makes a bunch of stuff and when we took their first instructor class in 94 there was a fair amount of the class devoted to all the different products making sure that you didn't bugger that up mm-hmm. and order the reduced ricochet or the limited penetration stuff thinking you were getting the fx marking rounds or and i just went read one account today and um, I was going, went back through the book training at the speed of life. And he talked about loading French student having loaded the frangible stuff into a gun, thinking it was the Sims FX stuff. Oh, wow. At an agency. So, yeah, yeah. the, I, I wouldn't wear, they made other products and they do uh, some of the agencies I've interacted with recently. Um, have actually went to UTM for marking rounds because to my knowledge, the gun one, the guns won't accept a, you know, a loaded cartridge other than that specially shaped UTM cartridge Mm. Uh, Two, it was a little more cost effective. And uh, the guns were dedicated to, I I guess you would call it a non-lethal or a simulated, uh, yeah. marking FX type round, but uh, yeah. that seemed to be the trend that I was seeing with uh, some other agencies, which causes a lot of logistical problems if an agency has like multiple platforms that they authorize. So the, there are kits you can drop into a regular working gun that will let you shoot the Sims FX Mm. or the the utm um, every place i've worked gunsight my old agency we had dedicated sims guns uh, 
Um, the newer ones are the completely dedicated from the factory uh, where they're that kind of lighter blue uh-huh. from top to bottom. Uh, what we had done was we previously, we had at least in my old office, we had taken evidence guns and converted them. And there were no live slides, live barrels anywhere around they only, you know, it was just the UT, the Sims guns, Sims FX guns. Um, and we had multiple platforms because we allowed multiple platforms. Yeah. So I'd say like for prevention, having a dedicated platform that mirrors your service pistol is a, is a pretty solid way to prevent a, uh, catastrophe. Yeah. So let's, before we even get to that yeah. stuff, um, we, we talked about how many folks just this year have been shot. We've not only shot our own, we've shot role players. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a case down in Florida where somebody screwed up what they thought was a blank round and confused a wad cutter for it and shot a citizen Academy attendant student with a wad cutter round. Yeah. In the demo. Um, like I said, instructors tend to screw it up more. And, and I think if you look at what Scotty Reitz has said, right, who's the ones that are most likely to mess it up? It's the guys doing it all the time. And it's not like you're intentionally trying to be contemptuous of it, but you just get so much exposure to it that if you aren't staying up on, on it all the time and people aren't consciously checking, it's going to be the instructors that are on that risk. Or they get asked, right, hey, can you show me that one more time? Not and people forgetting that we've gone from the non-lethal training ammo, dedicated guns or blue guns to now we're done and everybody's geared back up, or at least the instructors have geared back up. And now there's a live gun in the mix. And if folks aren't consciously thinking about it, that's a problem. So the protocols have to apply to everybody. Yes. Yeah. And that's agency wise. I've seen that, uh, just in my own experience, I've, I've seen it become a lot more regimented uh, with safety protocols and things like that, that 20 years ago was like, Hey, just download your stuff. And, yeah. you know, and then we would have, like I said, we'd have a safety officer, check everybody's gun and market flag it somehow. Um, but yeah, we've, th- and it seems like this year, I don't know if it's just because, the media attention to it, but there seems to be, uh, there's been more this year than I've seen in years past, but could be because yeah. I'm just more tuned into it now. No, I think there has been more. There's been some discussion on why. And I think that came from Greg Ellifritz or maybe somebody else that Greg referenced. Um, so you grabbed me cause I had written an article on this about a month ago. Yeah. Greg Ellifritz turned around, wrote another article, included my, article on it in that he also had added another one from a from a different online media source that had come out in between ours and had talked about some things so somewhere in there there was discussion that covid and some of the other stuff that's been going on in law enforcement might have had a hand in this because we haven't been training the last couple years there's been a lot of training bypassed. Um, you've lost some senior folks out of the business. You've lost people out of the business completely. So now you've got younger, less experienced instructors involved in things. And I'm not saying that's the case in every one of the incidents, 
But if you add in younger, less experienced people who know where the failure points are or who, sorry, who don't know where the failure points are because the guys who do are not around anymore or didn't have a chance to run the folks coming up through that stuff, you get people who don't, who don't see the issue. Yeah. See the issues because they don't know, they don't know what to look for. So there's that. Um, my article included stuff from Chase Jenkins, who's with Centrifuge, but I also talked a bit about what we do down at Gunsight. And in both cases, there's a process to this, right? Go search yourself. Go to your vehicle. Secure anything live that can hurt anybody. Firearm, ammo, pepper spray, sharp, stabby, pointy thing, right? That all gets secured. You search yourself. Get rid of everything off you. Then you're, whoever your buddy is, you search each other. Mm. Do the same thing. And you, it's like searching a structure. You have to expect to find something. Not like, oh, I'm just going to pat him down because he's a good dude. Like You have to expect that I'm going to find a bad guy hiding in that corner and run the search that way. Um, I can't remember where I got it from. I asked guys, where do you carry your backup gun? Where do you carry your blade? Well, I don't have one with me. I'm not asking you if you have one because yeah. you shouldn't. I'm asking where you carry it. And making a point to go search that spot, you know, just in case somebody did forget. Because there have been instances of guys coming in and gals coming into one of these non-lethal training scenarios. They've been searched, but the backup got missed. Something happens and the backup comes into play. There's yeah. been one example that I found. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I had a kind of a similar experience at the uh, DFW airport the other day with our mutual friend, Daryl, uh, right at the line when we're doing our uh, our de- our gun declaration, mm-hmm. uh, Pelican case is open and I do a full last second pat down like I'm like I'm looking for dope or a gun on a suspect and I pull the uh crkt ceo model out of my pocket and i go hey daryl you might want to throw that in there too uh just because it's so low it's become such a part of what i do every day i don't even think about it anymore and i'm like boy that would have been a heck of an explanation in about 10 minutes but um but there again it was just i mean i'm not infallible there we're all human so Late 2002, and just another example, TSA had kicked in post 9-11. I'm flying back from a gun site trip. I'd, cu- I was, I'd come off the DEA task force, so I wasn't flying on creds anymore. And I land in Oakland, and I'm sitting there with the suitcase with the big wire ties on it. And I'm waiting for the shuttle bus. And so I go to open up the suitcase with the wire ties, and I reach down into my pocket, pull out a Strider folder, and cut the wire ties. And about the time I cut the first wire tie, it dawned on me that that thing had gotten all the way through security and on a flight from Phoenix Sky Harbor to Oakland with me. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That was special. Uh, one of those <laughs> whoops. Uh, no harm, no foul. No one was injured or prison in prison. So, yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I've seen several examples of that. And the most recent one that affected me was DFW there. I was like, Oh crap. I'm glad I found that now, but, uh, so, go ahead. No. So going back to it, self-search buddy search, then a formal search by people uninvolved that aren't, that aren't there for the training just to make sure 
that you didn't miss something, you didn't forget something. And I have seen it done with hands-on PAT searches. Um, I've also seen it done in the commercial training environment where search this, that search happens with a metal detector. I'm okay with either. It just depends on how you want to interact with, with your students, with your trainees. Um, as cops, they're may, you know, usually we're going to have the gun belt on with all the other garbage. So that yeah. may argue against a metal detector. Um, but then you've got to check every holster. You've got to check every mag pouch. Not just like, oh, it's there, but I mean, actually look and make sure that damn thing's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, cargo pockets, ankles, all that has to be checked. Um, and everything that could come into play has that could come in, you know, and cause injury has to be secured long before that, not even get in. Yeah. I've, uh, I've seen, uh, I've seen live gas make it through a couple of inspections, uh, a couple of times, to- a couple of different times, uh, where, you know, people just gloss over it because that's not a lethal tool. Yeah, but if you got a role player in there in a citizens police academy and they get a face full of the devil's hot sauce, it's going to be an incident, right? So yeah, I, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I can imagine how that whole thing would play out for all involved. Um, one of the other things is it's not just making sure that you're not taking anything in. Uh, one of Chase Jenkins' recommendations. One of the things that his company does or centrifuge does is they're actually eyeballing in the gun, the gun and the ammo before every iteration. They're going back. Is this a dedicated Sims XF or UTM gun FX or UTM gun? Is this Sims FX or UTM man marking rounds, you know, or some other like paintball or airsoft? They're eyeballing everything in between every evolution to make sure that before they go live on it, there's, there's nothing live in play. Yeah. The, the incident I talked about with the, the officer that got struck in the hip, um, that was an after lunch iteration and everybody loaded their gear, went to lunch, came back. And, uh, when they came back, something happened. Somebody came back late, something, something got lost in, and, Yep. Uh, I know both the officers and need, there was no intent or anything malicious on either uh, on either side of that. It just, uh, something slipped through the cracks one time. Yeah. And, and, and that's why if you leave the training area before you come back in, you have to be researched. Anybody coming in from the outside, lieutenants, captains, deputy chiefs, chiefs, they have to be searched and go through the protocol instructors especially and i think when we were talking about setting this episode up yesterday i told you when i when i'm doing stuff i make sure i'm the first one to get searched i i want people to see me getting searched at the very beginning of the process because i like i said just look if you look at the numbers you look at the data i'm the guy that's most likely to screw it up because i'm the instructor running it yeah now let's talk uh, cops right so, right. uh, especially in a contained area, which as we all have probably experienced, no real training area is completely contained from the outside world. Right. Uh, I was, I I've had several instances in an in-service training where someone has wandered in, uh, yep. 
that may or may not have been friendly. Luckily, there was no malicious intent. Uh, one time, there was a gunshot victim that stumbled in. Yeah, that was kind of a kind of an eye opener. Uh, I think Chicago PD within the last couple of months had somebody with bad intent walk into the middle of one of their SWAT training scenarios. Yeah, that, that got some press. Um, if I'm running this training out in public, okay, right, and it, it and it should be marked off and everything else. One of my safeties is going to be outside of the scenario, not coming into the scenario. Into this, into the, you know, he's not going to go from cold to warm. He's damn sure not going to go from warm to hot. Okay. In terms of the training, he's going to be on site as force protection. Uh, I'll just take that word from the the military, right? Yeah. Agencies call it whatever they want, but that person stays outside of wherever the training goes. They can still be armed. Yeah. Because they'll deal with anything else that goes to pop up, but they're not coming into the staging area and they're definitely not coming into where the scenarios are. So their whole job is the uh, make sure the training is uh, cordoned off from uh, people with malicious intent. Yeah. Or just curiosity or accidental, whatever. Um, When I've run some of my low light instructor classes and I do practical application blocks, if we can't do it at the range facility that we're at, then if we're going to go somewhere else, we're going to make sure that we're as closed off to everybody else as we can. And we're going to still try to get somebody from the host agency outside of the warm and hot zones just to be there to, to head off anything, to answer any questions, to deflect people, to deal with that. Yeah. Force, force protection seems to be really big and it with LE military, uh, because what cop do you know that's going to go, and I want, I'm going to hand all my guns over and all my ammo over. It, it, it gets to be a security blanket, I think, at to some degree, and not without cause, right? So, Oh, no, there is cause. And in the current environment, there's definitely cause to be concerned about it because of some of the things we've seen happen. I mean, hell, there's video going around this week of a parking enforcement officer getting shot in the head somewhere back on the East Coast. Um, so yeah, I, I get that. The problem is we can't, not the problem is reality is we can't allow the people do responsible for security coming into the live scenario. And we can't have people in and around the live scenarios armed with real guns. Right. So we've got to factor that in. Oh, that's um, to, to our stuff. Um, so you check the guns. I'm just taking a quick look at the notes on the things I wanted to hit. We talked about the ammunition. Earlier, the Sims FX versus just any of the products from Simunitions. UTM makes blank rounds with noise, blank rounds that will function the gun but have no noise. And then they've got their man marking rounds, which are like the, the marking rounds like the Sims FX. Um, there's agencies using paintball. Yeah. Um, if I was going to go the blank, the blank route, I would go with like the UTM blanks, either either that make noise or that don't just function the gun. Um, there have been examples in the past. You, you, you talked about somebody using blanks, but where the gun wasn't correctly modified for the blanks or the, or the gun was starting to fail. And now a full power blank got put into it and launched, turned stuff in the gun into projectiles going down range. So yeah. yeah. If you're buying this stuff for an agency, make sure you're, 
you're finding out for sure what the guys need. If you're the one ordering it or specifying it, don't just throw out a brand name, go all the way down in the weeds. And there's one marking cartridge. Um, I'll go with brand on it out on the market that will go into live duty, live guns without any modification. And it, it's under the ATK brand. I think it's yeah. still called force on force. That's a non-lethal training ammo that goes into unmodified guns. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying it's bad, but for safety reasons, I don't like the idea of having live guns in the scenario. Yeah. I, I'm use, with you to, to use that stuff. Uh, um, I've seen that used one time uh, at a, a a little offsite training deal that 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 I was involved in, uh, and it was used in a shoot house that was not rated for frange or live okay. ammo, and it was shooting against uh, like the rubber bob targets. You okay. know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And it was one of those. It was just it was purely a logistical thing, and the instructor made everybody show up with downloaded magazines, just empty magazines and physically loaded like 10 rounds into each person's magazine. And that was it. Like the scenarios were short. Uh, it was a building search, like low light type thing. Uh, and he didn't have a fleet of, of uh, Sims or UTM guns. And we had everything from, you know, G 26s to, uh, you know, 1911s. So it was like right. he had three calibers, nine, 40 and 45 of, uh, those, I think they were ATK, uh, yeah, they're an ATK brand, but his thing was, here's the ammo station and you get your magazine from me that I've loaded. And the other thing was, there was no one, there was no rule for issues there. If there was an actual piece of live ammo that got mm-hmm. in, it, it was going to be some, <laughs> some explaining and some like ringing of the ears, but, um, yeah, I, w- I wasn't a proponent of it. I'll put it that way. I was, yeah. well, and you talk about using, using the, the non-lethal training game on that role, uh, last, last month, last month, it's December now. So I ran a team tactics class down at gunsight. Yeah. We had, it'd be better to call it a couple's tactics class, but, um, all the, the shoot house work was done with non-lethal training ammo. So when we were in there with husband, wife or friends and friends, nobody had a live gun inside if they screwed it up. You know, we didn't, the students didn't, it was it worst case. It was going to be, was a paintball round to wherever, right? You know, or FX marking cartridge round to wherever, um, which can still be painful, but with all the protective equipment on, Mm-hmm it's not anywhere near as bad as taking folks into that environment with live guns, live ammo. Yeah. So, um, you talked a bit about practical application, my low light instructor classes. I have, I do a couple different practical application blocks. I do both. I do a vehicle approach work in low light, open field search in low light. And then on the following day, we'll do, room entry and clearing building entry and clearing working from you know whatever the the lighting conditions are outside into a darkened room and i i approach those the lead up to them is the same self-search after you secure all your stuff buddy search after you secure all your stuff i get searched and then you get searched you know you the, the students come through 
that's for the first night when we're doing the vehicle approaches the open field when we do the room, the building entry and clear room entry and clear the second day i want the students to bring down a, a stripped down pistol frame with their weapon light on it but uh, I don't want a slide. I don't want a barrel. I don't want magazines. I don't want magazines. I don't want anything else live. So they come down with a hand with a handheld light and a stripped frame that just has a weapon mounted light on it. So they can work both during the process. But everybody gets searched for slide and barrel. Everybody gets searched for magazines and live ammo, backup guns, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you basically came down there with a holster that would hold your frame and light, and a handheld light, you'd have everything you need to get through that. Yeah. So I saw the first time I ever uh, was exposed to that. Well, it was actually two times uh, was Ernest Langdon did some, some uh, classroom demo stuff with a uh, 92 with no top mm-hmm. end on it. Uh, and it was just manipulation stuff, light stuff, things like that. And right. uh to essentially render a fully functional service pistol inert. And then I've seen Dave Spaulding do that quite a bit. Yeah, that was where I got it from was taking okay. classes with Dave. Um, and it wasn't a low light class. It was, that was how Dave would do his demos is he'd pull the slide and barrel off. And I'm like, I can do that with the low light stuff. Yeah. Especially when you now have your pistol and your light setup, So you're right. not dependent on somebody else's equipment and, uh, how it seems to be arranged. So, yeah, but, but yeah, that was, like I said, that was the first two times I saw that. So stripped pistols, self check, buddy check. What did you call the third party? That was the check, the neutral, the, 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 the uninvolved person. If I'm going uninvolved. into the non-lethal training ammo, right. I want somebody who's, they're going to be dedicated to doing those searches. They're not going to be the instructor. Yeah, it's fair enough. Cause I want them searching me. I want them searching the students that their job is to find stuff. So let's talk about challenges with the self check buddy check real quick. Cause one, I just thought is uh, you were talking team tactics. Right. What if you've got a male female that are not uh husband and wife uh, like if gun sight, you know, if it's the husband and wife team tactics, I'm sure. there's probably not a touchy feely issue there. Um, So if that was the case, then I would make sure that that, that's one of the things where working the metal detector is -hmm. helpful. Um, Find somebody in the class you're comfortable with checking your waistband, checking your pockets, checking your holster, your mag pouch, checking your ankles. Right now, unless you've told spent the first four days of the class telling me you always carrying a flashbang holster, then I'm not going to need to come up above the waistband looking for something. But if you've told me that you carry that way, yeah, then that's going to be a consideration in searching for the scenario. Hence my, where do you carry your backup gun? Where do you carry your knife questions? Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, (laughs) none of us want to have to uh, register when we move houses or anything like that. So uh, (laughs) by the same token, right. None of us want to, go into the scenario. So there's, there should always be somebody you're comfortable with. Yeah. If you're not comfortable, then maybe you shouldn't be in that class. Yeah. Right. Um, but that way we, you know, you've got the initial responsibility to your partner in crime, 
whoever you're working with has the second responsibility, then somebody else comes along to make sure that nothing got missed because we are human. We are fallible. You know, we do suffer from confirmation bias and like, okay, well, nothing's here because there's not supposed to be anything here. Well, wait a minute. No. Treat it like you're clearing a house looking for a subject, a bad guy hiding that you expect to find them. Yeah. And uh, I've seen examples of uh, instructors that have had a live gun doing demo with it and Mm -hmm. for a, a period of time and been with other students that have known that that instructor's gun was live and that confirmation bias kicks in and goes, well, is this part of the training or should I tell him yeah. his gun is live? And yeah. I'm type A enough. I'm like, Hey boss, you know, you're, you're hot. Oh, yeah. uh, and I've seen that happen a couple of times. Of course, again, no intent or, or right. and very proficient instructors. Just sometimes things slip through the cracks. So, so for the confirmation bias, um, Ken Murray's book, Training at the Speed of Life. Now I can remember his name. One of the examples he talks about is a free fall parachute event where they had a videographer with him. Mm. So eight dudes all go, are all suited up. They're all going to do this free fall maneuver that's going to be, it was going to be a fairly significant one to pull off. And there's the cameraman. So nine people exited the aircraft. Eight landed on Mother Earth underneath canopies. One cratered into Mother Earth. The photographer didn't put on a parachute. Everybody saw the photographer without the parachute, but no one said anything to him. And he followed the eight out the, out the door. Oh man. Oh, that's horrible. There's other examples in there, but that to me is the absolute like worst one. Like people are like, Oh yeah, we saw you didn't have a parachute on and nobody freaking said anything. Wow. No one said, Hey Fred, you, Where's your harness? Where? Yeah, you know that was the uh, <laughs> that was my recurring nightmare in the army. Was wait, I'm not rigged up yet. Well, the door's open. Time to go. That was like the recurring nightmare yeah. I had. But but we did self check, buddy check, and then the jump master check coming yes. and making sure everybody is perfect. Um, yeah. And the whole thing about the JMPI yeah. master, you know, infection is they have to find the failures. Their right. whole thing is graded on not on like, okay, that student's good, but where did where is each student buggered up so that you don't lose somebody during that process? Yes. Yeah. And, and you want the most anal retentive, obnoxious dude around as the JM for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly uh I and I'm being a hundred percent uh, Frank, when I say that I used to have this recurring dream that we were doing an in-flight rig and it, the door opened and I wasn't rigged. And, uh, not that that would ever happen in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, apparently in the civilian sport parachutist world, it's happened at least once. So, yeah, yeah. there's, there's some truly scary examples in there that Ken Murray uses. Um, so, you, like you said, it's the confirmation bias, right? Like, you got to point out to somebody, hey, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, oddly, or maybe not oddly enough, it, in Morse, there's this both sides of the coin in the very young and inexperienced group of uh, with of people with firearms training. It's that 
I don't want to say something that's going to make, you know, make me get the spotlight or, or I just want to sit here and learn. And then on the flip side, the super experienced dudes, they just assume that whoever is teaching has, has got their, their stuff wired tight. And somewhere in the middle, that like middle crowd, that's just starting to get their feet under them, but not really into the, that seems to be where the people will call you out the quickest. Right. Um, and, and I always say, you know, in all of our briefings or all the briefings I do in a class is everybody in here is expected to be a safety officer period. Um, and if you think something doesn't look right, you should say it and we'll confirm it and nobody will make fun of you. Like we'll just move right along with the course. Uh, but I'd much rather have that than some, than a catastrophic accident. So, and not specifically related to that, the non-lethal training ammo and the tragedies that have happened when that's been screwed up. But I teach with a guy who's a long time firearms instructor, very long time instructor. His backup gun is the one he keeps loaded on him when he's teaching. His primary pistol when he's teaching is loaded strictly with frangible for demos and everything else. Now he has live rounds on him, but the the, the pistol itself just has frange in it. I'm sorry, not frange. Um, dummy rounds. Reason being is he once screwed up what was supposed to have been a dry demo and didn't clear it out and put a hole in a concrete wall. Ooh. So his way of making sure that he doesn't do that again is that he has to completely unload the dummy rounds from the gun and load live to go back to, to do a demo. Right. And that when he's done, then he has to consciously unload everything and go back to the gun set up with dummies. Yeah. And somebody was a little concerned about it, but once the explanation was, I'm like, I got it. That makes perfect sense to me. I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Yeah. Not me. I mean, but, right i got you well what else? do you have a a third one or or should we go into maybe a product or uh yeah well i was going to kind of hit on the hit on the products um because you kind of alluded to it early on um you'd mentioned crime scene tape running mm-hmm. it down the barrel and having it come out the barrel come out the ejection port uh, i've also seen that done with and i have it set up here for it um that bright yellow woven poly rope you know, you can do the same thing with that. The, the hanks of it, like, you know, like 299 for 100 feet or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like your hard, typical well, hardware store braided smaller diameter. Stuff in the back of the truck. Mm-hmm. That will work. Um, we, we were both talking about this the other day. I'm not really realizing we were talking about the same thing, but barrel block. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess now that one of the companies, uh, Riley Bowman's company now owns it, but it's about a six, seven inch long piece of plastic that at one end is a molded plastic dummy round at a nine mil and sticking out of the end of the projectile and going out quite some distance is a sub diameter rod yeah. that will stick out the other end of the, uh, the muzzle end of it. And so now you can go, yep, there's no, there's no way there's a live round in this thing. And then the package that I've got from them came with three, like nine mil projectile size inserts. You can drop into your magazines Yeah, that they're, they won't, they won't pick up when the pistol cycled, but you can look at it and go, okay, no live round, at least not on the top. Mm-hmm. I can't chamber around. I got the barrel block in. I can manipulate the magazines without the follower doing weird stuff. And I can't chamber around inadvertently. Yeah. And that, uh, that piece of equipment i've gotten to where 
if I'm going to do dry practice, I will set whatever pistol I'm practicing up with that, that barrel block because I live in a condominium complex there. It is a walking or everywhere is a rule for thing, right? There, there is very, very few safe quasi safe directions, right? Uh, downstairs gun safe. Yeah. Gun safe is about it. And oddly enough, that's where I stand in front of when I'm doing drive practice, just in case. Um, but now with that barrel block set up and I've got, you know, I've got several pistols that are similar. So if I'm going to work with one, I drop that in it. And I haven't used the magazine block, uh, with the magazines cause I don't do a whole lot of like magazine manipulation stuff anymore. The older I get, the less important that stuff becomes other than just malfunction clearance type stuff. But, uh, but it's certainly a good tactile and visual indicator of yes the gun is is inert um and then with uh the 1911 2011s i've actually (laughs) you can actually take the firing pin out and put the spring back in to keep the firing pin stop now it's i don't talk to your gunsmith before you do that but uh you know I, i just happen to be the guy that if that breaks i'm like okay well i'll just fix it but uh you know, there are several products I've seen out there. I haven't seen one in a while that are essentially a cut firing pin that's polymer mm-hmm. so that you can dry press a 1911, 2011 without, I mean, you could even have potentially have live ammo in the gun and it, it yeah. won't allow it to fire. So, oh, so it was like a shot show thing. Shot show special. Yes. It's a, it, it, yeah. Like every company out there puts a cut firing pin in their gun or they should. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, similar similar thing. Um, well, any any other? Uh, I, I just want to do prevent? a quick rehash on it. Yeah. If you look at it, if you, you know, rule one is always said all guns are always loaded, and we treat them as such. Um, what I got from a Pack McNamara class many years ago was you're ultimately responsible for the condition of your firearm. Was how he phrased that one, and he specifically said if it's supposed to be loaded, make sure it's loaded when you leave your house. If it's supposed to be unloaded because you're doing dry practice, unload it. And if you're going to do stuff with non-lethal training ammunition, make sure it's non-lethal training ammunition. Yeah. So that's that's one. Secondly, if you're going to go to some sort of simulation training, non-lethal training, training with non-lethal training ammo, um, have some idea what the protocol should be. Have some idea what right should look like. So if you get there and the instructor is doing something completely foobar, that you can go, I don't need to be here. Right. This, yeah. this isn't right. I don't need to, I don't need to hang myself out on this one um, and risk it. And if you're an instructor, you need to go to a class specific to sit to the non-lethal training ammo and training with it. You need to know what the protocols are and you have to be the dude to embrace them. One for your students' welfare, but more importantly um, for you, because you're the guy most likely to screw it up um, and just, the last thing I'll hit on is just understand that you know, this is not a bag on simunitions because they've done, they've produced great stuff, but not everything they make is non-lethal training ammo. You have to know what you're getting from them. Yeah. And a, a, a frangible will, uh, will put a human being in, in, in the dirt. Yeah. Just and like even, a live round will. So yeah. And even reduced range stuff will still do damage to you across a room. Yeah, and uh, blanks, 
blanks at muzzle contact will kill you. So yeah, what was it, Brandon Lee and the quote, the crow? Yeah, and shot uh, himself with a blank. Yeah, and that uh, there was some speculation that uh, they had had a like a loaded or a uh, dummy cartridge in, and the projectile okay. had lodged in the chamber of the revolver, uh, and then the dummy pushed it out just enough okay. to. Uh, the incident that I talked about uh, from the seventies uh, was an entanglement and model 65s with blanks. Yeah. You see how that went, right? Uh, yeah. And that was, that was a horrific injury. And uh, consequently in a lot of the agencies around here's policy is there was no blank ammunition in training unless it's for some st- stimulus for where no one's around it it's just to simulate that hey there's been gunfire over here okay. uh but but not with force on force or other yeah. other people it, it, something you said just tripped to it um all branches of the military have done this no none of them are immune but this specific one happened to the marines my recollection it was down at camp pendleton there were some conventional um, infantry Marines role-playing against some Marines from one of the more, their more specialized units. Uh, it was supposed to be a blank hit, hit done with blanks. Um, live magazines were introduced into it on the part of at least one of the Marines from one of the special, special units, special operations units. Um, I don't, I'm not saying it was MARSOC cause I don't think it was, but it was, might've been just the reconnaissance community. Mm-hmm. Um, even with the blank adapter on the three rounds that were fired, three live rounds that were fired, punched through the blank adapter into one of the op four Ooh. into the chest of one of the op four. That was in the early part of the guat. Yeah. I remember so, reading the, the debrief on that one. That was yeah. uh, just a, just a tragedy. Um, yes. And, uh, that's, <laughs> That's tragedy on both ends of the gun. So oh, absolutely. This this one wasn't one that you could do kind of with humor. This is a dark subject, but it's yeah. it's one that we gotta discuss. So I mean, thanks for asking me on. Well, I appreciate it. And and you have the unique uh uh background of one, you know, you work at the oldest firearms institution on the planet for teaching all right. manner of, of, uh, classes and you teach low light and, uh, like building searches, things like that. Things that, uh, are very specialized in, you know, tailoring your equipment to that and still getting training from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't do that. I don't, that, that's not my jam. That's not where I, where I live in the training world. And, and, uh, consequently there's a lot more risk factor involved in that because of the things we just discussed so so i'm glad that i got to peel you away from uh today's uh activities for the last hour or so to to permeate this knowledge to the world and hopefully somebody hears it and uh, does not have a fatal faux pas in the training yeah. world so I hate the if it saves just one, but this is a case where if we can keep bad things from happening to one person, then we're probably better off. All right. Thanks, Eric. Preventing training accidents. Man, Eric coming in with notes all organized and whatnot. 
So a reminder, if you haven't, please check out today's sponsor, MantisX at MantisX.com. Also, we're going we're gonna to call them the honorary sponsor, uh, Barrel Block, and their website is BLOKSafety.com, BlockSafety.com. Great product. Check them out. Also, EDC Belt Company. As always, the foundation belt, edcbeltco.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.